everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 17 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Superman the Movie on your I'm Here to Fight for Truth, Justice, and the American Way podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Mandy, it's just the two of us this week, so when you give me a fill-in on your week, have you taken in any other pop culture? I don't know how much of it can be, you know, really qualified as pop culture, but I did... <laughs> do homework for the podcast. So I did get to watch Dead Poet Society for the first time. And you guys will hear about that a little bit later on another episode. And let's see the flash musical episode. You guys, I got yeah. to watch that this week and it was pretty epic. Yeah. I mean, the plot was completely stupid and I hated the story, <laughs> but I grinned like an idiot the entire time I watched it. And, you know, that just means it's really good. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, we shouldn't spoil anything, but there have been plot lines going on that could just keep rumbling in that annoying way CW shows do. And this episode just gets rid of them. <laughs> and it just makes everything a lot nicer again. It did. Yeah. It really did. We, we could do with a lot more of these. Let, let, let Barry be Barry. <laughs> and he should do more singing. Yes. Did you watch Glee? I did. Okay. Was, this was a little mini Glee reunion. And it yeah, was so you were, you were aware of them from, from that previously. That Glee is the reason I had a hard time um, with the actress who plays Kara because she was so meek and mousy on Glee. I could not picture her uh, as Rio. Okay. And I really struggled with that when the show started. But now I think she's perfect. So Yeah, she's a really good Supergirl. And the other thing that I watched this week were the final episodes of Bones. The series finale was this week. And it made me very, very sad, even though I was very disappointed with the way they ended it. Oh, really? Just because you expect a series to go out with a bang, and this one didn't. It kind of just ended as, you know, life goes on, and tomorrow is going to be the same for those characters as it was today. And those are my least favorite kinds of endings, because I just, I want to know that my characters are good. And that these people that I've been invested in for the last 12 years are having the awesome life that I want them to have. And (laughs) you just don't get that whenever they end it the same way they end every episode. Okay. So what about you? Did you have any awesome pop culture experiences this week? Um, I also got to watch the Flash and Supergirl crossover, uh, which I was very happy about. I'm a huge fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Rachel Bloom, who created and wrote and acting and everything for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, wrote the Super Friends song. Um, oh, I didn't know that. She, she wrote that. She contacted the guys who, the showrunners for Flash, because Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's on CW as well. She contacted the showrunners for Flash saying, guys, you're doing a musical episode. I really want to come and help. Please let me come and help. Please, please, please let me come and help. <laughs> they said, like, yeah, okay, of course. She used to write for Robot Chicken. So she's huh. quite into this world already. So she got in touch with Tom Root, who's one of the, um, I think, co-founders and co-runners of, of, of Robot Chicken. And they wrote this song together. <laughs> and it's, it was it's a cute song. Wonderful. Uh, the, the Super Friend reference, do you know of the, the Hanna-Barbera um, Super Friend show? No. Okay. There is a show from the 70s, in fact, a series of shows from the 70s called Super Friends. And it's basically the Justice League done in the style of, like, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> somebody's okay. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman and so on um, and so Super Friends is a phrase that's quite often used amongst uh, like DC characters oh, see, so I didn't using know that. Super Friends yeah it's such a and that's why when 
he first sings the line, I'm your super friend. She gives this laugh, and it's just perfect, because when you hear it again and again, you go, she's laughing to let us know it's okay to laugh at the joke. They they know what they're doing. Okay. I uh, thought it was just like a silly self-reference, because they're superheroes and they're friends, so they're super friends. Yeah, it works no on every level. Any, yeah, I, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I also started watching Jessica Jones, finally. Oh, that's so I'm wonderful. I am really enjoying it. Um, I, I know uh, I knew about the villain reveal that uh, that it was going to be de- well spoilers for Jessica Jones if no one's seen it so skip forward a minute or two um, that the villain's played by David Tennant. Uh, so- okay, I, I know that you're completely and one hundred percent anti spoiler, but it was <laughs> impossible not to know that before the show came out. Yeah, like. I have a Tumblr account, and I, I check Tumblr every day or two, so, you know, I know a lot about Jessica Jones already. <laughs> yeah, well, and maybe it's just because, I mean, David Tennant is my doctor, and so I'm yeah. kind of slightly obsessed with David Tennant. I've met him twice, and I'm going to meet him again in June, so... Did you hear that, guys? You know, Did you hear I... how quickly she got to drop that in? <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so maybe it's just because I'm, I focus so much on David Tennant, but as soon as he got cast... Like, I knew. Like, I wasn't really interested in Jessica Jones until I knew he was going to be in it. And so I knew, like, from way pre-production that okay. he was the villain. I had no idea who the villain was or what the villain did because right. I just wasn't familiar with the world. But I knew he was going to play the bad guy. And, like, I feel like it was impossible not to know that because it was everywhere. Okay. The the amount that Luke Cage is in it su- surprised me. I didn't expect him to be such a major character so early on. And I'm only a few episodes in, so I don't know quite how that's going to play out except like hey that guy's going to get his own series <laughs> yeah I still but yeah we we yet, don't so. watch um doctor who so it was quite yeah, funny where where my partner we were watching it and she was like that guy sounds like david tennant from Broadchurch." <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh i'm not gonna say anything and then yeah 10 minutes later she went oh no it is him she just thought it was someone who sounded like him doing an english accent yeah, well, I guess when you take the beard off, and if you're not super familiar with him, he does look a little bit different when you clean him up and he's not so scruffy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. so, so we've been watching lots of super shows. You, you and I are super friends. I was about to make that joke. At the nice, moment. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about Superman the movie. Let's see if we're we still are. super friends at the end. This is going to be problematic, guys. Uh, strap yourselves in this could be a very special episode of Pop Culturally Deprived that changes everything this might be the last episode of Pop Culturally <laughs> Deprived you guys. this is going to end on a cliffhanger of me just hanging up and walking away muttering <laughs> it's not going to be that bad I promise I promise there there are other movies that we've talked about on the show that I have disliked far more than this one so hopefully we can come out of this okay Mandy, why did you never watch Superman the movie? I didn't actually know I liked superhero movies until the MCU started. Uh, Before that, I was kind of an unenlightened youngster who categorized things into guy movies and good movies. (laughs) I know we talked about that a little bit in the Godfather episode, so I, I don't do that anymore. Uh, but I certainly used to. And so a movie, a superhero movie that I thought was a guy movie that came out way before I was born was definitely not anything I was ever, ever going to watch. And just for full disclosure, it came out before I was born as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
you keep referencing films that came out from before you were born, so of course you haven't seen them. You can watch stuff from before you were born. It's okay. You're allowed. I, I know, but that's another. It, it was old. It came out before I was born. It was old. It was a guy movie, and I just had no interest. Okay. And then I became more enlightened as I got older and decided superheroes are cool. <laughs> um, I think I've mentioned before that DC Comics. Uh, I grew up on DC Comics. That's the uh, the comic stuff that I go to more than Marvel. Um, I do love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I do love Marvel characters and the X-Men and so on. Uh, but DC is, is really where I live. Uh, I love DC movies. I love DC comics. And Superman the movie is one of the best of them. It's one of my favorite films. Uh, partially because what it does here goes on to be replicated in superhero movies. Oh, up until next year, 2020, 2021, they're going to be making this film <laughs> with different skill sets, basically. So this is this is a... Major favourite for me. It's a landmark movie, so uh, we're going to have an interesting conversation about our thoughts on it, I think. Before that, though, we need to do a little bit of history. Superman the movie was released in 1978. It was directed by Richard Donner and starred Christopher Reeve as the eponymous hero. It was written by Mario Puzo of The Godfather. Superman made his comic debut in 1938, and there have been many versions of him in comics, movies, and TV serials. This film was scheduled to be released in the same month as his 40th anniversary, but the production had a lot of delays and ended up being put back by six months. It was eventually released in December. The film was actually going to be a dual production. They were filming Superman 1 and 2 at the same time, with the intention of ending on a cliffhanger and then releasing the sequel about a year later. They stopped shooting the sequel with about uh, 75%. There are stories that say 40%, stories that say 75%. They had some of the sequel completed, uh, but they then stopped filming that so they could focus on just finishing Superman 1 and actually delivering a completed film for the new release date in December. That was probably a good call. Yeah. If we ever, yeah, we, we can talk about the stuff for Superman 2 later, but yeah, that's uh, it, it's fraught, that sequel. This film was followed by three direct sequels over the next nine years. There was then the mid-sequel of Superman Returns in 2006. And Superman as a character was rebooted for 2013's Man of Steel, which was itself followed by Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice in 2016. And he's quite likely to be back on our screens this year in Justice League. At the time this was made, it was the most expensive film ever. And it would remain so until 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Now, that's partially because they were filming two films at once. So, yes, it was going to be very expensive. And I think if you now look at the most expensive film, it's something like the last two Pirates of the Caribbean films or the Hobbit trilogy or something. So, yeah, they're going to be quite expensive. Superman the movie was a huge success, though. Only Greece made more money in 1978, and Greece was a summer film. Superman was released in December, so some of its total earnings actually came the following year. But it was still the second highest earner of 78. And by the time it finished being shown in cinemas, it had made it to the sixth sixth highest grossing film of all time. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Music, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Film Editing. And it was given the Special Achievement Academy Award for Visual Effects, the same award that they gave to films like Star Wars, Logan's Run, <laughs> which they maybe should or shouldn't have done. Uh, I think Toy Story got the last one of those before Special Effects became a, a formal Oscar each year. And although Christopher Reeve played the titular hero, Superman, he did not get it the first or even the second billing for the film. Marlon Brando, playing his father Jor-El, was the big name in the movie, and he was followed by Gene Hackman as the villainous Lex Luthor. 
Both of them commanded significant salaries as actors of a high calibre. Uh, one of the stories I read was that Marlon Brando was paid a, a significant sum because they wanted to lend uh, <laughs> a certain amount of credibility to the film by having such a significant actor come in and, and play such a, a pivotal part, but not a big part in the film. Okay. So, Mandy, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of Superman the movie? Superman is exactly the movie that you think it's going to be. It's the origin story of Superman. Uh, this is the story where we find out who he is, where he came from, and why he ended up on Earth. And how did you watch this film? Uh, this is the first film in a while that we've done that's actually been on Netflix in the U.S. So, yay, uh, Netflix. <laughs> I uh, We've had a run of these, actually, though. I watched this on Blu-ray. Uh, we've got a few of these to get through, I think. I, in fact, I own this on Blu-ray and DVD, I think, because I just haven't gotten rid of my DVD box set since I bought it on Blu-ray. It's like a 10-disc set because it's got five films, and Superman 1 and 2, it's got both versions of the film as well. So it's a very nice set. Mandy, what were your expectations for Superman the movie before you saw it? I really expected this to be a good movie that I would really enjoy, and I Hmm. expected it to be a movie that made sense. Hmm. I think you can expect most movies to make sense. Yes. Movies (laughs) should make sense. Unless it's like some weird abstract thing like being John Malkovich or something. Being John Malkovich makes sense. Well, I haven't actually seen it, so... <laughs> I, I know it takes place in some dude's head, so it's not going to make sense. So that's where that example came from. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a, an allegory about making references to things you don't, don't you haven't seen yet, isn't there? <laughs> I don't well. know. Let's have a, a quick chat about other superhero films, um, particularly DC. What's your experience with superheroes in general? Uh, well, with superheroes in general, I, I have seen all of the MCU movies to date. And I'm really, really excited about the ones that are coming up this year. Beyond that, I would say I read my first comic book this year. In fact, it was for this show. So if you guys you know, listened a few episodes back, uh, I read Batman Year One. My very first comic book was DC. Mm. <laughs> um, beyond that, TV, the DC TV shows. I know I did see Superman Returns. What was that in 2006? Mm-hmm. But I only went because my friends went, and I don't remember anything about it at all. So it probably doesn't actually count as having watched it, even though I paid <laughs> good money to go to the theater to see it. So yeah, I, I just don't know anything about DC, really. Did you watch uh, The New Adventures of Lois and Clark? Oh, I did. I did watch that. Well, not all of it, but some of it. Um, I was a big fan of Dean Cain back then. Uh, And of course, we've now had him and Terry Hatcher in Supergirl. Yeah, but I don't like Terry Hatcher on Supergirl because she's Okay. (laughs) I I got to see Superman Returns uh, in the cinema, but in Seattle or, or near Seattle, in Washington State, let's say that. Uh, so that, okay. that was quite exciting. But no, I think we might have gone to somewhere on Seattle. It was a long time ago now. I, I quite enjoy that film. It's I, I said mid-sequel earlier. It's uh, technically comes after Superman 2 and before Superman 3. Something oh, like does that. It? It's set in this continuity, this franchise, but is up to date. And it, it, it is basically a remake of this film in, in a lot of ways. Right. Um, oh, fun fact. Graphics. Go on. Uh, Superman Returns was the first live-action full-length feature that I saw in 3D. 
I do remember that because I remember being impressed by it, but also simultaneously not impressed because they really didn't do a great job with it. Because the the action sequences that were 3D still ended up a little bit blurry and and hard to focus on. Yeah, because was that where they they put up an image or an icon on screen when you put your glasses on for certain scenes? Yes. The bit where he's first running through the fields and the bit with the ship sinking. And... Yes. Yeah, but they yeah. tried to do it in some of the action sequences too. Okay. And, and I, I remember that now. Um, 3D movies have come a long way since then. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that as well. It wasn't 3D all the way through. There were just certain sequences. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would put the little circle up in the corner or something and you had yeah. to put the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It feels like we're talking about like typewriters or something. Everything... <laughs> like, the old tech. <laughs> and Superman the movie. Um, Mandy, did you enjoy Superman the movie? No. <sighs> oh, boy. Guys, this is, oh, boy. What can I just... Oh. Why did you not enjoy Superman the movie? <laughs> it, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> it just it didn't make any sense at all. And I just... Uh, I was so frustrated all the way through it that... I couldn't, I just, I couldn't enjoy it. There was one scene that I really, really liked, and we can talk about that when we get to our favorite scenes, because if I talk about it now, I'll have nothing to talk about then. (laughs) I think we found, uh, every time we've talked about movies, it's a lot easier to talk about the problems up front, and then get into the the stuff we really enjoyed. So it's going to be worth digging into some of this, uh, some of this detail about what didn't make sense and what you didn't enjoy. Is Is there anything, a particular thing that stands out to you? Or is it just the sequence? It's a uh, problem compounded on problem. Um, there are a few very specific things that don't make sense, but it really did just kind of keep comp- – I mean, it started in the beginning um, before <laughs> It did start in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> the problem started in the beginning. Is, is that better? <laughs> um, I mean, just – they put a child, a baby – in this little space shuttle thing and punted him off to another earth and he grew up in this thing i mean i I don't know how old he was it was supposed to be three years i think but that child was older than three whenever it crashed but he grew up and i don't know how he had food or water or how he could live for three years in this pod um how he was supposed to understand language at that point, because it was playing over, you know, it was looped over the voice of, of Jor-El talking to him about what he's going to do on Earth and, and all the stuff that's going to happen. And it just, none of it made sense. And then the little boy crashes and he miraculously understands English and can, like, knows what a hug is. I, it, it didn't work for me from the very beginning. Okay. I'm sorry. I can. Th- these are all the sorts of things that I can whistle past under the idea of sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, to quote a very old phrase. These these are Kryptonians. They have been around for thousands upon thousands of years. They are a highly advanced society. So, questioning the, the, these elements of it, we're we're not going to understand them as you know, meek and feeble humans. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that doesn't work for me. That's I'm why I go sorry. Past but but it's also this is part of the Superman origin. So it's just, this is what happened. And it's what happened when it was written in, oh, it was probably in the 40s that they first wrote the actual origin story in this way. I think I probably would have been able to whistle past it had they not tried to show us him growing up in the pod. 
Mm. If, if they hadn't done that, if they had just put him in the pod and then the next scene that we had was him crashing and then we got some of the voiceover at that point, you know, saying time has passed or whatever, I probably would have been completely fine with it just because my brain, my eyes and my brain wouldn't be having the disconnect that I'm having. Mm. And, and so I think maybe they were trying to show and not tell. And by doing that, it just didn't work for me. Yeah, I can completely understand that. I think I, I've said that this is one of my favorite films. I, I will acknowledge there are some problematic things in this. And not, not problematic in some way that we might watch other films and go it's problematic because it's got different politics or different ideologies than we might expect from a modern film. But problematic because it doesn't really make sense or it's just daft. <laughs> and, I appreciate and you saying that. I, I, I've got a few of them that I think are actually different to yours, but one of the things that stands out to me is is when I was doing all the reading for the production, I found out that Richard Donner put the word verisimilitude around the sets and around the production house. Uh, the idea of making everything feel real. This is a very, this is a very fantastical production and very fantastical ideas. He wanted to lend it, like I said, with casting Marlon Brando, an air of credibility. Yes, it's a small boy blasted off from a planet who comes here and, and develops lots of powers. But let's try and make it feel like it's real enough and people can buy into it. So, so at the point that we start asking them to believe things that are really difficult, they are completely buying into it. And part of me wonders if either seeing it as a much younger person, as I did, or seeing it in the 70s when uh, this was a big spectacle. This was a big, big film. This did, did a lot of stuff that had not been done uh, certainly as well on the cinema before this, if not at all, that it was much easier to buy into because of what you were being presented. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, you're probably right. It just, I mean, this was really, I, I looked up the list of, of superhero movies to see where Superman fell on the list. Mm. And this was the only one, I mean, there were, there were a handful before this one, but they were all ones that I wasn't familiar with. And so in that list, Superman was the first really well-known movie yeah. that has held up at least through t till today. Mm -hmm. And so that probably has a lot to do with it, I think, of why it was so well-received. It just hasn't aged well, I think. Okay. The tagline for this film was, you'll believe a man can fly. And because See, and I had no problem with that. I had yeah. no problem with him flying or shooting heat out of his eyes. Mm. No problems with any of that. Yeah. And, and we have become more... Uh, sophisticated as, as people who consume media, not not just you and me, we as the the cultural we. Right. <laughs> when when you compare, there's a terrific book out there called Everything Bad Is Good for You that talks about this in, in quite a lot of depth, and it compares even quality shows like Hill Street Blues, but you compare that to Sopranos, Wire, modern modern shows of a similar sort of uh, idea. They're so much more complex now. There's so much more detail because we've learned how to understand them and how to, how we want explanations for things and we want the background. At the time this was released, I don't think it was questioned in that way or was accepted that you didn't get answers for things. Okay, I can accept that. I think I think in its time, yeah, it would stand up. Now we expect a lot more from our films. And the fact that we come away from superhero films going, well, they, but they could have explained this better. They could have done this better. <laughs> In talking about other uh, superhero films, there is something that I love with the way... I don't even know if there's a word for it, but the way that superhero films accept that other superhero films exist and integrate them so nicely. So we mentioned Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher being on Supergirl. 
and Flash has done this. Flash has done this superbly with casting the, the some of the stars of the previous Flash series. Right. In Superman the movie, Lois Lane's parents on the train. You know, she sees him running par- faster than a locomotive. Wait, that was Lois Lane? That was Lois Lane. But the, the little girl with her parents, let's say. How doesn't... do you... How, how do you know that? Is it just in the comic history? No, they do call her Lois Lane, but I'm now wondering, do I have like extra scenes in my DV- in my Blu-ray or something? It's possible. It, it doesn't even matter. The girl who sees him running really fast. It's possible that that, that was in there. I was really super distracted by the, the special effect of the running. <laughs> okay. I mean... Yeah, because he's running really slowly. It's, it's like I mean, he's, he's not actually running. <laughs> know what he's doing but that is not running <laughs> yeah that that is one special effect that does not hold up <laughs> anyway lois lois lane a small girl on the train sees him and they say oh and th- there is a line which may or may not be in all versions of lois lane your imagination is that of a writer something like that <laughs> but her parents are the people who played lois and clark in the 1950s movie serial Oh, that's cool. Yeah? So they were already doing it at this point. Oh, well, well let's cast them. And there is, I like that. There is a movie called Hollywoodland, which stars Ben Affleck, <laughs> of other superhero fame. Um, <laughs> he, but he plays George Reeve, who played Superman in the uh, Adventures of Superman, seri- I think, TV serials, the little black and white ones, where he, he basically looks like a bodybuilder or weightlifter. He's got that sort of build. It's very strange. Okay. But there's a bit in that when he's... It's about his career and, and the way he passed away and being investigated of suicide stroke murder. But there is a great point where he uh, he's in a, a business thing and someone's telling him what he should invest in. And he says, oh, land, it's the only thing they're not making any more of. Now, that's a line that Gene Hackman uses as Lex Luthor in this film. So I was sat in the cinema watching Hollywoodland. He uses this line that is a Lex Luthor like, classic line. I burst out laughing. This is just the funniest little reference I can think of. Everyone in the cinema just looks at me. <laughs> Why is this guy laughing? Because it, it was a preview screening. So the cinema was full because we weren't allowed to know what, what film we were going to be watching. Okay. Everyone just looks at me. And, and one of the girls who worked for me at the time was in there as well. And the next day at work, she was like, Why were you laughing? <laughs> It's super weird. Oh, that's funny. But I do like that. Superhero films do have this nice continuity through them. It's it's always quite nice. In fact, the final okay. one that comes to mind is uh, Brandon Ruth, of course, who plays Superman in Superman Returns, is now in the Legends of Tomorrow series. Yes. Uh, one of the DC TV ones. And the crossover episode where he sees Supergirl, he even just has a single throwaway line of, she looks really like my cousin. Yeah, I remember that. I laughed at that one. Yeah, it's just, it's so subtle, but it it rewards you for for enjoying this stuff across all the medium. It does. I like it when when shows know their audience and appreciate their audience like that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's what Marvel have created a, what are we, 17 film strong series on so far? Oh, is it that many, really? Something like that. But Captain America Civil War must mean nothing to you if you haven't seen the other films. Like, it must be impenetrable. So they've got the right thing going on there. We're spending a lot of time not discussing Superman the movie. We are. (laughs) I'm afraid that I'm going to, like, just really horribly upset you, honestly. No, I I agree. There are – this is – 
oh, it's got problems. It's got bits that you just have to shake your head at and wonder why. Um, for me, it's particularly Lex Luthor. And and he's he's slightly different than we would normally expect from the modern Luther is usually a kind of Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs owns a huge corporation, makes a huge amount of money. Super genius. Right. But actually at this time, he was generally some sort of just criminal who hated Superman. Well, he clearly did have a lot of money, but I guess he got it from his criminal activity. Ill-gotten gains, yeah. But Otis and Eve Tessmacher, who... Eve Tessmacher is what the new Cat Grant assistant is called in Supergirl. Another little yeah. reference. Um, I never picked up. I could not figure out what her name was. Because every time uh, Lex said her name, he was shouting. And I Tess could Tessmacher! not understand. I, yeah, I could not understand the word that was coming out of his mouth. And okay. so I was just like, sure, it's her. Ah, and, and you see, that's the joke of that's what Cat Grant does when she first turns up on Supergirl. Does she? Okay. Yeah, yes. I, I, that would have um, flown right past me. <laughs> Although, Callista Flockhart's a bit different from Gene Hackman, of course. <laughs> yes. But the the two of them are not good supports for a villain. Yeah, Otis is just bumbling, and Ned, Ned Beatty is a very good actor, but quite often this is the sort of role he goes to, or, or is cast as. And, and you just don't understand why he's kept around he, when he messes things up and just can't be trusted. Is this the best sort of lucky hood <laughs> that Lex Luthor can get. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Otis is loyal and yeah. stupid. And I think when you're Lex Luthor, that's what you want because he's not going to he's I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say. He's Lex has all the power. Mm. There's no chance that Otis will ever have power over Lex and Lex wants power. And so for him to have lackeys like these two ensures that he is always, always going to be in control. And I think that's what matters to him. Yeah, that's a really nice read, actually. Some sort of insecurity of keeping lesser mortals around <laughs> so that he knows he feels better, whereas someone who might challenge him might be more problematic. Yeah, exactly. And that that's perhaps why a modern Lex Luthor comes across so much better, because yeah, they always write him with this confidence that he is the smartest man in the room. He, he has no worries of anyone else being superior over him. And one of the right. reasons they give him for hating Superman is Superman does have power that he doesn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But basically every scene that we go to them, Lex Luthor's good, the rest of them are terrible. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, Eve Tessmacher is not terrible. She's quite good. She does some funny stuff. She gives as good as she gets. But then the film treats her like a very attractive model would be treated in a 1970s film. Sadly. Yes. Yes. I, I did get really, really frustrated with the um, the so-called CPR scene. Oh, yeah. Where oh. the the man in charge made everybody turn around and not look while he sexually assaulted her, essentially. It's, I, I think the line is, a vigorous chest massage. Yes. Oh, come on. Is this the best we can do? In 1978, yes, it was. Because, you know, everybody laughed. I mean, even I kind of laughed at the same time that I was cringing. It's it's funny in a sort of summer camp humor kind of way. But it's not becoming of Superman, really, is it? No. No. (laughs) But on the flip side, it treats Lois Lane really well. She is... Uh, capable and intelligent. She's got quirks in, in the way she can't spell properly, and she's 
got this very single focus on on everything. She's not dressed like she can quite often be dressed in the comics. She wears very sensible clothes, even for the the date sequence. She's dressed in very nice clothes, but it's not low-cut, short, revealing, flared, something just to show off. It's just a nice blue dress. I felt like they wrote Lois a bit inconsistently. Mm. In the beginning, I I wrote, if you um, look in the show notes and... I'll also tweet out the link to my my thought stocks each week because um, we discovered that some folks didn't know they existed, and you guys need to read my thoughts because they're awesome. Can you read my thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you write them in a doc and link to them on Twitter, <laughs> yes, I can. So, uh, as as I was you know typing these while I was watching the movie, I started with I can't decide if I love or hate Lois. I love that she's strong and stands up for herself, but she's a bit of a jerk. Yep. But then, you know, not not too long after that, I also wrote, she's completely a scaredy cat, which doesn't go with the Lois who kicked a mugger's gun. When is she a, so, when, when is she a scaredy cat? When, they were, when he was flying with her. Oh, when he drops her. <laughs> it wasn't just when he dropped her. It was when they were, like, she kept hiding her face okay. and, like, peeking out from between her fingers. And that was just a very, very different Lois than the Lois who, you know, stood up in front of Clark and kicked a mugger's gun out of his hand. Yeah. So I, I just felt like she was written slightly inconsistently. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I don't see quite as much inconsistency for myself because she's completely happy in the mundane world of New York. But when you when you take her out flying, and when she's hanging off the helicopter, she's freaking out and screaming at that point. When when she enters his domain, she's uh, that's when she gets quite scared. I mean, if I was hanging off of a helicopter, I'd probably be freaking out too. Yeah. So. And if you were flying with a man <laughs> higher than a jet would go, you might be scared then too. But speaking of flying mm-hmm. and things that don't make sense, okay, the physics of how they fly together <laughs> make no sense. <laughs> I mean, he can just hold her hand and she's miraculously able to, like, stay up. No. Sorry. Yeah. That when, when you think of if you're holding something, particularly something heavy or awkward, but you've got to hold it completely away from you, you've got to have quite a grip to keep it up there, haven't you? Yeah. But he's crushing her hand to keep her flying steady. And and then he, like, he drops her. And that didn't make any sense either. So for a minute, so I thought weird. he did it on purpose. <laughs> And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense because you know it's coming because you see the progression that yeah. her, that she's getting further and further away. <laughs> and so the logical thing to do would be for him to tighten his grip and pull her closer. But no, he lets her go. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't make sense. No. No, absolutely. That does not make sense. He should at least be keeping a closer eye. She should be holding a, uh, having a high, tighter hold on him. Something. Someone. Yes. That, <laughs> that whole scene mid-flight. just shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And and then there's the poem as well, which is just weird. And that, that feels like a hangover from an earlier style of movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The if, if, if you had to push me to explain it, which I think you want to, there's supposed to be a thing about he... Oh. I, th- I feel like I'm mixing it up with Supergirl now. Something like her clothes are indestructible because she gives off an aura of indestructibility. So she can use her mm. cloak to stop bullets as well, her cape, 
to stop bullets and like cover people in the cape. Maybe that extends to flying. <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> I love that you are trying to make it work. I love it. I love that. Well, there is a lot we could question here. <laughs> yeah, the fact that they can fly and that it's like that is the least of the things to question. <laughs> okay. He has a very particular skill set, very particular power set, which some of which I can I can say, yeah, I can understand that. That is a good power. The, the origin of, it, of his powers were uh, Krypton's gravity is much, much higher than Earth's. So the, the old idea of can leap tall buildings in a single bound and outrun a locomotive, that was just because he came to Earth and the gravity was so light here, he was like a Superman. And over the years, this evolved into... Well, let's just let him fly. <laughs> let's just, just give him super speed and let's just make him indestructible. And eventually he's become this omnipotent, omnipotent super being who's way overpowered. And I, I quite like Superman for being overpowered because it makes good writers have to work at him. Like to actually challenge him and make it make us worry about him as a character. Right. Yeah. However, some of his skills, <laughs> he's got he's got super breath. Yeah, so he's a superman, his muscles are really strong, he's quite indestructible, so maybe, yeah, he can project out breath really, really strongly. What are his other powers? Um, he can shoot lasers from his eyes. He, he doesn't shoot lasers, he has heat ray from his eyes. Heat ray from his eyes. Heat from his eyes. <laughs> that just isn't fun. None of his powers actually bother me, and so... It's very Heat interesting to me. from his eyes. <laughs> it's, like, it's just, it's yeah, his muscles are really strong. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm totally fine with this. Like, the rest of the movie doesn't make sense, but his powers make total sense to me. And this is the thing that you get stuck on. I, I, that's just awesome. It's a ridiculous power. <laughs> it's a ridiculous power. I look at you so hard, you get hot. Arr, that's my power. <laughs> Okay, but it, well, and here's here's the thing. Here's probably why it makes sense to me because I am most familiar with Krypton and the Superman Supergirl legend mm -hmm. from the Supergirl TV show. Mm -hmm. And in the Supergirl TV show, the reason that Kara has powers is because Krypton had a red sun and Earth has a yellow sun. <laughs> yeah. So the radiation is different. And so it's the radiation from our sun that's giving her uh, our powers, which is course. why when she Sunlight. gets hurt, shut, it's radiation. <laughs> so when she gets hurt, you know, they put her under a yellow radiation light and it heals her. That makes sense to me. And so I'm, you know, and, and extra radiation giving heat out of the eyes makes sense to me. Like I can make the logical leap to those powers. And I guess I'm just projecting that onto this movie. So they, they get put under a sun lamp when they get a boo-boo. Yes. They've, have they basically got seasonal affective disorder? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, exactly like you say, it has over the years grown into this thing of, okay, so Superman comes here and now he's Superman. How do we explain that? Oh, we have a different sun. That's how we explain it. And yellow sunlight does this and red sunlight does this and so on. And yeah, in in uh, like I said at the beginning, something we don't understand, science we don't understand. Yeah, I can absolutely buy it. If I'm going to start questioning this film, though, there are things I'm going to question harder than they have a capsule that can keep a boy alive as he shoots through the galaxy. 
<laughs> okay, well, here, hey, you want my question? <laughs> he through cool. his eyes is not one of my questions. <laughs> it's, it's just true. not. So, can you please explain to me? Go on. I, I'm just going to kind of go through this progression. I'm not going to read it exactly out, but okay. when Clark decides he has to leave, he has miraculously found the green crystal that was in the pod with him. I don't know. I guess it's like speaking to him or calling him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They don't really explain any of this stuff. He, just, Ra- he finds radiation. the crystal. Radiation from the green crystal. <laughs> he finds the crystal and then he miraculously knows that he has to fly to like Antarctica or something. And then he just happens to know that if he throws this crystal in just the right spot, the Fortress of Solitude is going to magically come into existence. And then the Fortress of Solitude is actually something that Jor-El made, who has somehow now been dead for thousands of years. And it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, none of it makes sense. The thousands of years bit, fine. He flew across the universe, several galaxies. Yeah, it probably has been thousands of years. But it was only three Earth years for him. Like, I, no. In if the it was pod- thousands of... <laughs> I'm sorry. I, no, I didn't know. In the, in the cryostasis stasis of the pod, maybe it was. If he was in cryostasis, he wouldn't have grown, and he did. Oh, but he might do. In no, their, that's not their, how it Their works. cryostasis. Krypton, cryptostasis. <laughs> cryptostasis, okay. Yeah. Um, Jarell is an AI, but again, a very sophisticated AI, who has been pre-programmed with lots of Jarell's knowledge and wisdom. Oh, well, you know, no, I understand that part. Yeah. But, okay, first of all... How did, did he understand... Yeah, how did he know where to go? How did he? How did the Fortress of Solitude even get there? Like, was it built? I, I couldn't figure this out. Like, did Jor-El somehow put it on the Earth himself, or was it actually somehow created by that green crystal when the green crystal fell through the snow? Is that what created it? Like, it, yes. it didn't make sense. Yeah, it was grown from the green crystal, and he knew to take it because. It was his Patronus that told him how to get there. Um, narrative imperative, I think, is probably all we can say. There is there is probably a good comic with the reasoning, and he heard visions or heard, heard his father speaking to him. Okay, but then how did Jor-El know where it was going to be if he's never been to this planet? Well, but perhaps it was just looking for a completely isolated area. Okay, I'll buy that. not visit something on those lines. The the, the comic version of the Fortress of Solitude, I absolutely love it. it. Has this giant gold door that can be opened. In fact, it's not gold; it's some indestructible metal. It can be opened by a giant key uh, made of what's the, what's the thing called in Legends of Tomorrow? Dark Star, dwarf metal, something. I don't know. Su- super dense metal element atom thing. Um, dwarf, yeah, well, dwarf that, star. They did that. Dwarf they star. They did that in. In the show, in Supergirl, yes, they they did that. Oh, with the giant key, yeah, that only she can lift. And then, yes. but the key, uh, if you look at the key from above, it just looks like an airplane air route pointer to show pilots the way. Oh, so it's actually it's it's out in the open, but it's still disguised. It's the point. So it's an isolated area, and people just think it's showing them the way home. So what I'm hearing is that I really need to just go read the comics because they make more sense than the movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the recent ones, and there are some really good uh, Superman origin comics out there. So, okay, this is this this might be a nice point to segue into uh, superhero origins. Okay, let's do it. 
I, I love a good origin story, and, and like I said before, this is the origin of origin stories, almost. Um, how does this rate for you when you compare it to uh, particularly the other big films we've seen in the MCU? The origin of Doctor Strange, of Iron Man, of Captain America, um, and other things like Batman? Um, I can tell you that this particular origin story is at the very, very bottom of the barrel. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it doesn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> Parts of it do. Like, if if they had found a way, or if I was from the 70s and was just so excited that this thing even existed, that I could mm. whistle past everything, you know, then, then it would have been fine. But it just, I question too much of it for me to believe it. Okay. Like, I cannot suspend my disbelief for for this story. Okay. I'm not referring to the movie. I mean, just the story of comes to Earth, learns humility from his parents, learns to understand his powers and so on. The story rather than the content. Okay. Oh, no, no. Okay. So, yeah. No, that makes total sense. And um, I think, okay, if I separate it out from this movie and just Superman's origin story where his parents send him away, he shows up at Earth, you know, he gets adopted, grows up and all that stuff. I think it's fine. I think it's it's a little bit boring. Okay. But I mean, most most superheroes are boring until the day they put on the suit, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I I think I don't know. I guess looking at it that way, they're all kind of the same. You didn't like that answer either. No, I do. Um, it's a really interesting phrase you've used there with putting on the suit, because he is Kal-el of Krypton, who can fly and shoot heat out of his eyes. He puts on a suit to pretend to be a human. He does, but he doesn't He doesn't ever use his powers to help people until after he gets the Superman suit in the Fortress of Solitude. So hmm. to me, that is when he becomes Superman. And this is Superman's origin story, not Clark Kent's origin story. And so those years where Clark was raised on the farm, yes, he had special powers, but he had to hide them. You know, the most he did was run faster than the train so that he could show off, you know, show up that douchey Brad dude. Yeah. It wasn't until he learned from the image of his father, the extent of his powers that he finally decided that maybe he could do something good. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when he finally goes to the city, he starts doing these things and he gets all all prideful of his father. A little, I do have a question about that though. One of Mm -hmm. my thoughts I was wondering, the the first thing that we see him do, and as far as I can tell, you know, time is funky in this movie, but as far as I can tell, the first time that Superman shows up to save somebody is when it's Lois in the helicopter. And the camera did a shot of her hat falling, and that's what Clark noticed. Mm. And so I I honestly wonder if it hadn't been Lois up there, would he have stepped up to save them? Because it read very much to me like the reason that he decided to, you know, change into his suit and fly up there was because it was Lois. You have to say yes, he would, because he's the giant Boy Scout. But yeah, the fact it's Lois does help give us uh, incentive to enjoy it and want to uh, want him to go and save it, rather than it just being some random thing happens and he has to go and help. Okay. I think my, my comment there about he puts on a suit to become Clark Kent because he is Superman. Um, A lot of listeners are probably saying, well, Matthew, you've stolen that idea. I have. It's from Kill Bill uh, Part 2. 
and and again the the titular Bill, he has a terrific speech where he talks about how he loves comics, um, and he says Batman is actually Bruce Wayne, Spider Man is actually Peter Parker. When the character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider Man, and in that characteristics, Superman stands alone. Superman doesn't become Superman. He was born Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent, and he puts on the glasses and the business suit as a costume to blend in with us. Okay, that's now, true. No, I love that point. I think that's a, a really nice, insightful point. The sort of thing you expect from Tarantino. And the, the origin story is almost split in two at that point. You have all the farm stuff where you see him learning about his powers, but also learning to be Clark Kent, be with his family. And then you have the Fortress of Solitude stuff where he, where I think Jarell even has a line along, along the lines of, together we will understand what it is to be on this world and to be the light in the dark. Mm-hmm. The bit was Jonathan Kent giving him this speech about you were put on this earth for a, you were put on this world for a reason. I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like you were put on this world for a reason, and it's not to score touchdowns. Right. Clark then races him up the driveway, <laughs> goes to pet the dog, and the father exerts himself too much and has a heart attack and passes away at that point. And it's incredibly touching, and for me, it makes this one of the great origin stories, because he realises that, as he says, even with all these powers, I couldn't save him. You know, humans right. are fragile and weak and don't last very long, and they need to be protected, and you need to strive to find the good in them, and to help them find that, because on their own, they are, like I say, fragile and weak. I love that as a sentiment. I love that as, that's the thing he learns to make him who he is and why he always fights for truth, justice in the American way. Yeah. Because okay. we're so very different from him. When I, when I compare that to something like uh, the origin of Wolverine and his thing is hardship and being experimented on and being hunted and being through wars and so on. So you build up this rage and this anger and that's when you end up with, with this guy. But equally, his power set is he heals from any wound and he has giant knives in his hands. Now, the only interaction he can have at that point is stabbing things and slashing things <laughs> and then being injured. <laughs> when when all, your only tool is giant slashy knives, the world looks like a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's it's very easy to do with the same with Superman, which like the modern films, the the Henry Cavill Superman does. His power set is he's very strong, he flies very fast, and he shoots heat from his eyes. <laughs> so they have him smashing buildings and smashing creatures for half a movie. But okay. when you give an origin story of something like actually, it's about finding your purpose in the world and doing good with it, it gives you a, a, another way to show these things. And, and this film shows it very nicely because there's not that much action here. There's not much of him punching people and having these big fights. No, not at all. And that's what, what makes Lex Luthor such a great uh, a villain for him. Okay. Because he's not he's not going to challenge him in a fist fight. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think... It's be different. Okay, so listening to you talk about the origin story, mm. I see where you're coming from. And it reminds me of my favorite origin story in the MCU, which is Captain mm. America's. Okay, and yes. his origin story is very similar to the way that you see this origin story. Mm. And and you still get that same, you know, truth, justice in the American way. That's what Captain America's fighting for, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I can understand why this one is so meaningful for you. Mm. 
yeah, it was it one of the first that I've seen. And particularly in the DC world, the origin stories are not great for the most part. Um, they're, they're not like Marvel do. A, a big moment is someone's origin. The uh, chemical that creates Captain America, the gamma radiation for the Hulk, the uh, explosion and chest shrapnel for Iron Man, right. or, or even Peter Parker being bitten. In, in the DC universe, quite often it's... They develop these powers. Wonder Woman is just Wonder Woman. Superman is just Superman. Batman has a singular moment, but then he has years of training and understanding how to become Batman and what that means and so on. Right. So really the difference, I'm going to say, without me having very much knowledge, mm. is it, it, it sounds like to me that the DC universe, superheroes choose to be superheroes. And in the Marvel universe, they're made to be superheroes. Because something happens to them. Yeah. And and like with everything, it's not quite so cut and dried for me to say all of them. You know, Doc, Doctor Strange learns his abilities, but the, but the being Doctor Strange is the thing that makes him an interesting character. His personality and his take on, on the world. That's true. Um, and, and the same with like Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and to the same extent, Flash gets his powers in a moment. And Green Lantern is just suddenly given a ring that makes him a superhero. So I don't it, know anything about Green Lantern. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we're, we're not watching that movie. Okay. <laughs> I refuse. I've seen it twice, and that was twice too many. Um, okay. <laughs> but I, the, the reason why this, this uh, origin story, I think it's just it's so good because it's so easy to do it wrong. And again, the Henry, Henry Cavill film even does the, the bit with his father. His father dies protecting the secret. And that's the important thing that needs to happen rather than dying and the lesson being about the fragility of human life. That's so nicely written. Okay. I think I need to work more on separating the story from the execution of the story. Mm. I've, I'm very hung up on the execution of the story and that's why I don't like it. The story itself is a good story. The story of Superman, of who he is, you know, I mean, the origin story, that's what we're talking about. That story, you're right, is a very, very good story. It's just the execution in this movie does not work for me. Yeah. And that's why I keep getting hung up. Yeah. And there's, I think we've got one real more problematic bit to touch on. And this is the one that I think, for me, it it detracts from it being a good movie. It's not even just, it doesn't make sense the bits that they do in terms of him coming to Earth or in terms of his powers or anything like that. The way the movie is delivered does stuff badly. And that's how it treats time. And in two different ways, there's a very big way it treats time at the end that I think we'll come to in, in a minute. Yeah. But just as it goes through, you've, you've mentioned already, he seems to age as he comes to Earth. And then his father makes reference of... You've been on Earth for 12 years, I think, but now it's thousands of years since I died. Right. And it almost implies that the crystal calls out to him and he goes away the day after his father's funeral. And I don't think it's meant to be. It's meant to be sometime later, maybe his 18th yeah. birthday or something. But it really does feel like next scene, he's going away. It did. Mm. And I mean, I even I wrote I wrote that in my notes that it didn't make sense because he's hugging her at the funeral and then he's going into the very next scene, he's going into the barn. And mm. in the very next scene, you know, you see his mom watching him out the window. And then she walks out to the field and he says, I have to leave. Yeah. And all of that happened in the span of like one minute. Mm. 
and there are no visual cues whatsoever. Like I was actually half expecting that when she walked up to him in the field, that it was going to be Christopher Reeve standing there and not the younger version. Mm. And if they had done that and then he decided he had to leave, that would have made more sense to me. Yeah. And they didn't do that. They made the the chunk of the time passage be while he was at the Fortress of Solitude. And so it just it frustrated me. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it would be so easy to do that better even just by flashing up 18 months later at the bottom or or something in the design in the look of them but there's not enough there to make you think and perhaps there is perhaps if you pay a bit more attention to the car the car looks more decrepit or Clark Kent is styled to look older or something but it, it none of it lands for me right none of it feels that and and there's other sequences in the film that do this when when he finally becomes superman in in metropolis and he's he stops the random jewel thief who already has the jewels but is climbing up the building. Um, and right. then, then when he picks up a boat and he puts a boat in a street, which is just reckless, um, <laughs> that potentially is over days, weeks, months. But it's implied to be all in one day and then he goes back to the Fortress of Solitude and Jarrell tells him off. <laughs> right. Again, a, a bit more of a sense of this is happening over a period, which... Spider-Man, the first movie in 2002, I think, um, does that so much better. The the sort of coming out bit of Superman of Spider-Man, coming out as a superhero. Right. <laughs> Just in case anyone thinks I've misread a comic or something, his his uh, whole sequence there, you get the sense this is over several days because it's intercut with a couple of things of more issues of the paper coming out and so on. Okay. Yeah, but then there's the other way that it treats time. And that's because there's time travel in this movie, which I don't think you expected. No. Um, hang on. Let me see what my, what my line was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's the worst rage cry I've ever seen. Oh, <laughs> I like it. It's one of the first. <laughs> He's flying fast enough to reverse the Earth's orbit and go back in time. Mm. Say what? Mm. This doesn't make sense. I mean, I was typing really fast here because I was just floored at what I was watching on the screen. It Now, okay, we talked, mm. and you attempted to explain some of this yeah. to me. And what you explained makes sense, but it doesn't match with what my eyes saw no. on the screen. But, yeah. So he... You know, he's he's out there doing all these great things to, you know, to save people. You know, he goes and somehow single-handedly fixes the the fault line and stops all the earthquakes. And then he goes and, you know, the, he can't save the dam from breaking, but he causes that big rock slide so mm -hmm. that there's a barrier there for all of the water to save all the people in the, in the valley. The water then, as it rushes through the weird miniature village. Yes. Which is a miniature village. That's not a great model. No, it's not a great model, but it was the 70s. And then he hears, you know, Lois gasping her last breaths oh. and everything. And so he flies to the car and pulls her out and doesn't even try to revive her. I'm like, come on, man, do some CPR, do something. Just stand there and cry and rage. He has super breath. He, he might did. pop her. He could have tried. I'm just saying. Um, and then he gets so upset. He flies really, 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 really fast in the wrong way around the Earth to make the Earth spin backwards <laughs> turn back time so that all of a sudden back the time is back before. Time. 
all of this destruction happens. And he immediately goes to pull Lois's car out. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy Olsen is there and everybody's happy. And so this doesn't make sense to me. Because it just – if he's doing that, then – None of the other things that he did before happened, which means all of those people he just saved died again. Okay. I'm going to try. But first, you are absolutely right. The film presents that the Earth spins backwards, which goes back in time. It doesn't... If the planet started spinning the opposite way, the world would be leveled. (laughs) Like huge earthquakes all across the globe. No building left standing, tsunamis, whole... Oh, terrible. <laughs> but that's that's what the movie presents as happening. Well, see, and, and that's fine. That, you know, I mean, I understood what they were trying to do there, and that's fine. What they're actually doing. Um, so time travel, sometimes you get scientific, uh, the H.G. Wells, you know, a device that sends you through time or something. But for the most part, when we talk about time travel in fiction... As opposed to when we talk about time travel in nonfiction. Um, when we talk about time travel in fiction, we talk about time travel and speed. Because potentially nothing can go faster than the speed of light. So if you can go faster than the speed of light, does that mean you're, you're going through time because you're going before things have happened because things only happen when you perceive them through light, potentially. So 88 miles per hour, uh, going faster than the speed force, doing a slingshot around the sun. These are all typical ways that movies present us with doing, doing time travel. That's what Superman needs to do. Superman needs to do go really, really, really fast, and he can go back in time. You've watched The Flash. That's how The Flash does it, yeah? Yes. Okay. Particle accelerators are circular because it's the fastest way to build up something, the speed of something, by sending it in a revolution again and again and again and again, again, like they do in The Flash. So he does that using the planet's gravity to give him that momentum as he's swinging around it. And eventually he goes fast enough, and he, Superman, Superman of post-Lois death, goes back in time. And he perceives going back in time as the Earth spinning backwards, the water going back in the dam, the earthquake not happening, Lois coming back to life. So what we're seeing on screen is, in theory, what he can see, but we're not in his POV, so it doesn't really make sense. No, but, I think you're just grasping it strong. No, no, this, this is... Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he goes back in time. The world hasn't shifted. He has just gone back in time. So he's perceived the world as spinning backwards. He then comes down and lands and saves Lois because the missile is still going to hit and the Superman of that past time period is still there and still goes and holds up the San Andreas fault to stop the earthquake. Helps the train across the thing, but then doesn't fix the track or tell anyone about the track. But he saves that one train. Um, He then goes and stops the dam and then goes back in time, even though Lois is still alive. So maybe he becomes a time remnant and disappears. Right. Well, see, that doesn't make sense. But that's why he doesn't need to go and do the other stuff. Big paradox. It it doesn't make sense. No. And again, Either way you look at it, it doesn't make sense. We are more sophisticated in what we're asking our media to do. And we're, we're more used to time travel stories and the idea of, hang on, if you're going to do that, that then means this. But So the, was the audience of 1978 just not supposed to ask those questions? Yeah. Was it just supposed to be relief that he saved her and, that, and that's the end of it? Yeah, it was better than anything else they were seeing at the time. The other big film that year was Grease. And she gets a guy by putting on some tight jeans. 
They weren't jeans. I don't even care. <laughs> I'm really sorry, but and smoking. I'm just gonna she say, becomes one Grease of the cool kids. A... <laughs> Grease is a far superior movie to Superman. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that very emphatically. Okay. Okay. Love what you love. Love what you love. Love what you love. Love what you love. <laughs> yes. Same can we you. can we take a moment to appreciate the earthquake and lowest dying sequence though? On on Twitter, a couple of friends commented on this particularly. Josie Bentley of the Moo Point po- podcast and Melanie F. Um, all I remember about it, all I remember about the movie, is it sparked a decades-long terror of earthquakes. And I remember being terrified I was going to get sucked into a hole after seeing this. It is a hard way to watch someone die. She's not She's not crushed. She's not because then you couldn't pull her out because that would be weird to see on screen. She just suffocates in all of the rock. Well, I was wondering. See, I was, I was thinking about this afterwards. I'm not sure that – well, I guess suffocated is still the right word. I was thinking what happened because her head was still above the dirt. And so it's not like she couldn't breathe because – the dirt was obstructing her. It's her chest was so compressed from yeah. all of the dirt that she couldn't breathe. And so it was kind of like she was crushed, but not enough to crush her bones, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. It was enough that there was so much pressure. She just couldn't breathe anymore. Mm. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Like I it, was watching that scene. And at first, honestly, I didn't think she was going to, I had no idea that it was going to go down the way that it did. I was yeah. just like, okay, he's going to come save her. And so I was just kind of watching it kind of clinically and analytically and just like, you know, thinking, wow, that's going to really suck. You know, if, if, if I was going to die, that's not the way I would want to die thinking she's not going to die. And then she (laughs) did. And it was horrifying. Mm. Even for 2017, it would be quite a step to actually kill Lois Lane. Although if they (laughs) want to kill Amy Adams in those films, I have no problem with it because she's terrible. I can't weigh in on that because I haven't seen them. Don't. But generally speaking, I love Amy Adams. She's not a good Lois Lane. (laughs) Yeah, well. But yeah, it's it's a bold point. At this point, it was. And I had no idea how he was going to undo it. That's why I was yelling at the screen for him to do CPR because (laughs) that was the only way that I could think of that she would not be dead. This whole time travel thing was just not even anywhere on my radar. (laughs) And it, it, yeah, it just wasn't what I expected. And this is uh, the origin of one of the kind of learning points for cinema, for, for the way when I watch cinema, when there is a big event of some sort, usually cities destroyed, planets destroyed, something, you know, massive destruction. I usually look at that and go, okay, someone's going to wave a wand, someone's going to travel through time, someone's going to do something. Because it's been done so much, Neil, that it doesn't stick. It very rarely sticks, at the very least. Right. And this is this is the origin of some of that. It's You get used to this idea of, oh, they've done something quite ballsy there, but he's going to time travel and save her. So, okay. Which is right. why when, when they don't time travel, particularly in films where they have time travel, um, and I've got one very specific movie coming to mind at the moment, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie, which if you've not seen it, there's about to be a spoiler for that. They destroy Vulcan. Like, I was right. watching this film going, okay, they've got a time travel machine. They're going to go back in time by the end of it and say Vulcan. Okay, it'll all be fine. I don't need to care. And then by the end, they had a, the Vulcans are now intergalactic refugees. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's something. Making that sort of thing stick really works. 
but you've made me think what would it be like in 1978 to watch and see Lois Lane die in an established story where you know what happens between Lois Lane and Clark Kent. Yeah, that's a really good move. That's some bold storytelling. You're right. Mm, I like it. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the movie and more of its bad points than its good points. Okay. I won't say bad points, problematic points. Yeah. What is your favorite part of this movie? Did you have, is there one standout line or scene that just makes you happy? The way they deal with the father, I really like, but I've talked a lot about that. The introduction of Clark Kent is just wonderful. And this is, if I'm going to go back to Superman Returns, this is why I think Brandon Roof got the part, because he's not a great Superman. He's a great Clark Kent, though. And that's the secret to playing Superman well, is doing some of this stuff. And Christopher Reeve turns up, and he's clumsy. He can't open a bottle. I mean, he's Superman, and he can't open a bottle. Lois bangs it, and he opens it, and it sprays all over his crotch. That's good comedy. Right there. It was. You know, and I didn't even... When I was watching this, it didn't even occur to me... And it's stupid. It really is because I had just seen him being this confident, capable teenager. Mm. You know, it just it didn't really occur to me how much of this was an act. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking, wow, he really is just this bumbling man child, essentially. <laughs> and then you get that scene after he's done the interview with Lois and he flies off and then shows up at her door as Clark. And he comes in and he's waiting for her to get her sweater or or something. And you just see physically that transformation. Like, I I didn't even realize that he was slouching as Clark Kent Mm. until I saw him stand up. And, I mean, that's not a practical effect. That's not a special effect. That is Christopher Reeve acting the hell out of the character. And that is the only moment in the movie that I actually really loved. (laughs) Because it was fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is incredible. When you hear the two pitches of his voice... Mm-hmm. When he, he takes the glasses off and he decides he's going to tell you, he goes, so Lois, I uh, I need to tell you, I'm, uh... and he can't go through with it, puts the glasses back on. So I was really worried about this thing, but I decided I wasn't going to be worried. And even just in his voice, he changes the intonation, but the square set of the shoulders, of the jaw, the stance that he has, it's even more pronounced when he is actually Superman or Clark, because um, the parting is on a different side and Superman has the spit curl as well. Right. But even just the way he stands, yeah, he's two different characters. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really quite funny. There was a uh, – I'm going to go off into a comics tangent now. There was a, a comic in the, the same month this actually ended up coming out called The Master Mesmerizer of Metropolis. I'm not saying that again. And he goes to the Daily Planet and there's a thing threatening Metropolis – and he is Clark Kent, but everyone turns around and says, hey, you need to become Superman and go and save it. And he realizes that everyone knows who he is. He wakes up and it's all a dream. But there's these panels where he's looking at himself and he's got the glasses and he's putting the glasses on. He's taking the glasses off. And he has this whole thing in his head of, is my Clark Kent disguise really that bad? Even if I change my voice slightly when I pose as Clark, can my dual identity really be that easy to see through? Now that I stop to think about it, that's the dumbest disguise I've ever seen. <laughs> what am I supposed to look like a totally different person? Uh-uh. Superman wearing glasses is what I look like. <laughs> what else should I expect? Ordinary people start wearing glasses. Do their friends say, who are you? No, they say, oh, you've got glasses. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, there's a, 
a, a meme or something going around um, that I've seen where it's, you know, Batman is sitting there doodling because he sees a picture of uh, Superman in the paper and he's <laughs> mad that Superman, you know, got more press or whatever. And so he draws glasses on him and then all of a sudden figures out he's Clark Kent. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I see it because – it's such a dumb disguise, but when you watch Christopher yeah. Reeve do it, you buy it. Yeah, he absolutely sells it. It's it's just wonderful to see someone on screen do that because it it is hard to you. Even Brandon Ruth doesn't quite put it off, and and part of that's because glasses shrank over time and and lenses got better. But yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, I I would like to do a little monologue about the way this film looks, and and that scene is is the one that it centers around, if I may. Please do. <laughs> Um, the cinematographer, director of photography for this was Jeffrey Unsworth, who comes from a village near Wigan, where my dad comes from. He was the cinematographer for 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is one of the most beautiful films ever made and, and was an absolute game changer in the way that films looked. He did this film a few years later. And in fact, neither 2001 nor this did he. I don't even think he got nominated for the Academy Award for Visuals for Cinematography which is an absolute travesty. But he brought some of the things that he'd learned from 2001 or that he'd even developed for Kubrick for 2001, he brought to this, particularly the rear projection. So having a a cinema screen playing in the background so you could have multiple sets or multiple bits of action going on at once, uh, particularly in in an occasion when it's difficult to do, when you see people uh, running really fast past a locomotive, for instance. <laughs> but in general, this this film looks incredible. The, the the they obviously spent a lot of time selling that he could fly, and and it, it looks really good. Apparently, Christopher Reeve used to fly uh, hang gliders, I think. So he sort of had the idea of how to even fly in this way, which quite impressive. But in that scene that you're talking about, she says goodbye to Superman on the uh, balcony, and. It's one continuous shot. She goes into the apartment and opens the door and he's there and she greets him. And she then goes off to, like you say, get her coat. And you have him in the front of the frame, taking his glasses off, squaring up, becoming Superman. And you have a mirror behind him so you can see what she's doing as well. And then she comes back in and he decides to become Clark Kent again. And then they go out and it's it's one shot. There's no cut there whatsoever. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, you actually see him fly off as Superman and then come in the front door as Clark Kent. Right. Really well I, done. I mean, I know I know that, but I, I don't think I realized it was a single shot. Yeah, because the bit, of him, the bit of him flying off as Superman is a cinema screen that they filmed earlier. So she's acting to a shot of him flying off, but he's already huh. there. It's done so nicely, but you don't pick up on it. In, in the same way yeah. that when you do see, particularly, you know, those driving scenes and they're in a car and they're waving the steering wheel around because actors don't know how to drive but you can see everything going past them in the background that that always stands out you always go okay i can see exactly what's happening there but it really it's done so effectively in this film this is a very well shot film and and like i said before sets the standard for superheroes even now in in how they do a lot of this stuff okay for me the the great bits are particularly where he's clock kent that whole bit of um, where he says, can you send half my paycheck to this address? And she goes, oh, don't tell me. He sends uh, money to his grey-haired old mother. <laughs> and his response is just, well, actually, she's got silver hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. <laughs> and, and the line, what's her line back to him? Are there any more like you at home? 
Right. She, we know she's single. We know she's interested in a man, but she's not interested in him. <laughs> oh, I don't think I quite read it that way, but okay. No? No, no. She's, because it's, she's it's very clear that she's interested in him. Hmm. See, I would have expected the line, if she was interested in him, to be, oh, you're such a good man. Oh, why no, then all? No, she's going to play coy. Okay. <laughs> Come on. I mean, in anticipation of this interview, she is dressed up in a way that Lois would never dress for work. She set up this little wine thing on yeah. her balcony. You know, she's she's trying to pull off some game there. It's not really working oh, yeah. because because Clark, I mean, Superman is and Clark both are, you know, a little bit naive and innocent there. Well, <laughs> you say that, but he is a little bit naughty. He's got a few lines that he throws in there. He can't see her underwear. She steps away and he goes, oh. Oh, they're pink. Pink. (laughs) It's just, the conversation's moved on. So she goes, what, what? Oh. And she steps back towards the planter so he can't look through them anymore. Right, right. (laughs) But yeah, this, this girl is not coy when he turns up and she goes, so, how big are you? I mean, how tall are you? You're right, but she still is, you know. I mean, because she's not going to just come right out and say that she's interested in him, you know. And so she's, she's got to say, are there any more like you? You know, it's just, it's it makes sense to me, okay? <laughs> That's all that matters, is that it makes sense to me. Okay. Oh, do you like pink? <laughs> That's her line back to him. Again, she goes on with the conversation of it, and then she goes, do you like pink? <laughs> I don't think I picked up on that. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. When when he's trying to tell her how to spell Krypton and she just comes out with it. She's like, it, it, again, a really nice way of showing it's on her mind. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that whole scene is just, it, it's really lovely. So well done. Because like you say, he's not naive, but he is a very nice gentleman, Boy Scout type. But a little flirty. Well, he is there to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. He is indeed. There are two things that I would like to bring up that we haven't talked about yet. Go for it. If that's okay. Uh-huh. We haven't talked about Perry White at all. No. And he had one really great line. Did he? He did. Okay. What was, what was Perry White? Jackie Cooper. Again, a heavyweight actor. I'm just going to say, Perry was asking the real questions here. <laughs> yeah. Find out about that blue suit. Who made it? What's it made out of? <laughs> I mean, that is what we really need to know That's about Superman. the important stuff, is it? That's the important stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and on a serious note, I need to talk about Kryptonite. Can we talk about Kryptonite? Mm-hmm. Kryptonite makes no sense in this movie. And I, I don't know if this is what Kryptonite actually is in, <laughs> in the normal world. Although, I'll be honest, they sort of referenced it this way in, in this week's Supergirl, too. And it threw me for a loop because it doesn't okay. make sense. Quick, but, quick pause, quick pause. I haven't seen this week's Supergirl because I'm a week behind you. I understand. I'm okay. not going to spoil. Just before you start going, hey, they did this whole thing. No, no, it, was, it was a throwaway was line. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kara, Monel, all of them win. They're all dead. Shows Kara, over. Oh, Monel win. Big threesome. Quite <laughs> daring for CW show, but. <laughs> hey, as long as Alex lives, I'm good, okay? <laughs> No, it was just it was a throwaway line about Kryptonite, and, okay, yeah, and it funny. reminded me 
of this movie and one of the things that I have an mm. issue with. And Kryptonite. maybe you can educate me. Just educate me. Okay. So when Lex Luthor is reading the interview in the paper about Superman and is deciding that, that Superman is going to be his arch nemesis, which he never really explains why. It's just, oh, hey, there's this superhero guy who's probably yeah. going to foil all of my plans, so I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Okay. That That's a whole other issue, though. So he's reading... And all of a sudden, he somehow yep. deduces. Yeah, it's, it's not ridiculous. With deductive reasoning, it's it's not that Superman came from another planet. That planet exploded, and so lots of debris shot out into the universe. And so logically, some of it probably fell to Earth as a meteor. And oh, if we find this space rock debris from his planet it's gonna kill him hmm. and then all of a sudden he calls it kryptonite yeah and it's just like bam 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 there's no logic there's no science there's no reason i mean this oh, is okay. a classic case of shit writing where they're telling us something and not showing and yeah. it just it doesn't make sense yeah no i completely agree on that point him suddenly going oh hey this rock this one rock that's in a book is going to be kryptonite and it's going to kill him. Right. That makes no it, sense. It's the same as if he said this random rock out of the Grand Canyon can kill humans because it's made out of Earth. Okay. If there'd been a line of, oh, he's about this old. Hey, there was this massive meteor shower that year. Perhaps some of that rock came from, which is, I think, possibly what, the way they do it in Smallville. They did re- reference time because they they did do that because that's when he started looking back through the book. Okay. He he did actually do that. Okay. But he didn't. I mean, it's just oh, his planet exploded, so the pieces of that planet must be able to kill him. Yeah. We need a little bit more for that way, and and it is entirely possible this this is rock that's been through space unshielded. So who knows what radiation it's been exposed to? Who knows what radiation it was exposed to on the destruction of Krypton? Krypton. And so if yes, they had right. Well, about could those do. things, that would be wonderful. But exactly. no, he don't said know his planet wrong. blew up, and those pieces can kill him. Yeah, I mean that is literally what he said. Yeah, it's it's a leap, and again, it's a leap that we would expect to be filled in now, or we'd be calling it out and saying this film doesn't make sense. This you know, film doesn't make it, sense. <laughs> yeah, it, like if you were saying, oh, you know, Batman and Superman need to fight each other because Batman suddenly doesn't care about people who try to help the Earth. That that makes sense. <laughs> they're still making films that don't make sense (laughs) okay okay i will concede i just needed to vent and get that off my chest and that's 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 the sort of thing when i say that the some of the stuff with lex luther and his crew are are not very good that is that is part of it 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 would be simple to have another line or two there to explain it yes Mm. another line or two Pseudoscience would have gone a long way, although it probably would have been more helpful if if he had had like a friend who was a scientist who had done the extra line. But you know what? I would have whistled past it, but (laughs) I I just needed a little something extra there. That's all. They they get the rock because they want to find out more about him, and then they find out somehow it's going to kill him. Right. Yeah. The science of it, it's supposed to be a thing that it, like you were saying, radiation is the source of his power. This is a thing that sucks that radiation from him. So that's why it drains him and potentially kills him. Huh. That's See, now, to... if they had said that, yeah. then I could have bought it. 
oh, this sucks yellow sun radiation. And he said in that interview, the yellow sun sustains him. Oh, hey, I've got an idea. Yeah. I've got an idea, lads. <laughs> <laughs> You've not seen the Italian job, have you? I've not. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Whoosh, right over my yeah. head. Okay, so I have gotten off my chest all of the things that I wanted to talk about. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to talk about with Superman? Um, normally at this point, I'd be asking you, do you want to see sequels? Do you want to see the next ones? That becomes a more problematic conversation with this film because there's a couple of different versions of this film. Wait, there's a couple there's... of different versions of this film? Of this film. There's the version that you watched, which was about two and a half hours. It was two hours and 33 minutes. There we go. There's a version that's like three and a bit hours long. Holy crap. Uh, that has loads of weird stuff added to it. The family who made this, the Salkins, they struck a deal with ABC to show this on TV. And as part of that deal, they would be paid per minute of the film that was shown. So they recut this to be over three hours long. <laughs> That's some damn chicanery. And gave ABC a much longer version of the film to show. ABC had to show it over two nights with a cliffhanger as Lois is falling from the helicopter. Wow. <laughs> that is some that... They are renowned for their chicanery. Um, they were sued by Richard Donner, the director, Marlon Brando, I think Gene Hackman. Um, they replaced Richard Donner on the filming of the rest of the sequel, with Richard Lester, who'd followed Richard Donner around for part of it for them anyway. They cut Margot Kidder out of the third one and Gene Hackman out of the second one because they said bad things about them. Wow, that is awful. The Salkins are really terrible human beings in real life. Yeah, they, they were not... <sighs> that's terrible. It's really I mean, hard that's, to say they're not good people, but yeah. They're doing a disservice to the actors. They're doing a disservice to the fans. And it's all for money. And I don't like that. Now I don't want to watch any more of their movies. <laughs> well, so, they, they'd they made part of Superman 2. And they returned with uh, Richard Lester to film the rest of Superman 2. But he has a much more comedic take on things. So, it, it's a slightly different feeling films at, film at time. Uh, th- there's bits of Superman 2 that I absolutely adore. My, I, I said earlier, I'm on Tumblr. My Tumblr is named after uh, a line from Superman 2. Because there are some really great things in there. But there's some really weird choices and things that went on. So it's a bit of a mixed film. But there is then the Richard Donner cut, which in the 2000s, I think Warner Brothers, I think, got Richard Donner to come and basically complete his film by using some of the cut footage, some of the stuff Lester had shot. Um, I think there's even bits where they use screen tests (laughs) and cut that in as some of the uh, random pieces. Okay. So if I say to you, oh, yeah, we should watch Superman 2 because Superman 2, and it is a good film, I I would recommend watching it. It's difficult because I'm not sure you want to sit through two versions of Superman 2. And then because you're such a completionist, you might want to watch (laughs) Superman 3 and 4. And I don't really want to inflict that on you. I don't want to watch Superman 2, so I don't (laughs) think we have any issues here. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I so, feel like I'm kind of done with Superman now until we get to the Henry Cavill version. Okay. Oh, we, we could watch that one. We could return for Superman Returns. I, I do enjoy that. It, it has some really lovely po- points to it. Kevin Spacey is terrific. He's everything Gene Hackman is without the silliness. Right. Yeah. And, well, that's true. I guess based on the rules of what we've already established, 
if I don't remember a movie, it's fair game for the yeah. podcast. And I don't remember Superman Returns yeah. other than it was the first feature length live action 3D movie that I saw. So <laughs> we could do uh, a mini yeah. cast on it. Yeah. yeah. None of our episodes are mini casts. So. <laughs> no. Sorry, um, you guys. We know we're running a little bit long. <laughs> so Superman 2, uh, the basic plot is a bomb is sent. Superman sends a bomb into space. It cracks the Phantom Zone, and Zod comes down to wreak his revenge on the son of Jor-El. That's the basic plot Zod? of it. Okay. Zod, Terrence Stamp, who Marlon Brando sends to the Phantom Zone at the beginning of Superman 1. So the original, oh, okay. Uh, okay, quick diversion into alternate versions then. The original idea was that there were two missiles, one going to Hackensack, New Jersey, one going towards the San Andreas Fault. Superman would stop one. I think the one going to Hackensack would send it into space and it would crack the Phantom Zone. And the other one he would not stop, but he'd be able to rescue everyone. The film would end, everyone's happy, but Zod is flying towards Earth. Film two, Zod comes down, takes over Earth. And there's destruction, horribleness. Lois discovers that Clark is Superman, or Superman is Clark. And there's lots of other stuff that happens. But in the end, he turns back time to be able to stop Zod right at the beginning of the adventure. And that's where the time-turning-back thing happens. It happens much further into it when he has had a relationship with Lois. So it makes more sense to do that. But because they weren't sure they were going to get to make the sequel, they took all the, in inverted commas, good ideas and put them into Superman 1. So what's left for Superman 2? Well, they they still do a lot of that, but they then invented some other stuff about uh, him giving up his powers so he gets to be a normal human man with uh, Lois. Because there there are some specific theories about whether humans and Kryptonians under a yellow sun can be together as man and woman. Well, okay then. He he said with a (laughs) nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. So, That's all I got. Or, or okay. <laughs> We're probably not going to work on any more of the Superman films. Next up for Superman. Well, not the Christopher Reeve Superman films, at least. No, I, I don't think I'd recommend them. It's certainly not for the podcast. Maybe worth watching just to fill in your knowledge. No. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. And then, I'm not sure I can recommend the Henry Cavill films. Man, Man of Steel is... Like I say, it's really easy to overblow Superman and just have him punching things for a very long time, and that's what Zack Snyder does. And that's the least interesting thing with Superman. Do I need to watch the Henry Cavill versions to watch Batman vs. Superman? No. Uh, the intro of Batman vs. Superman gives you most of everything you're going to need. Okay. Because yeah. I do want to see that one because it introduces Wonder Woman, and I want to see Wonder Woman and eventually see Justice League. Yeah. Because yeah. At the moment, Jason Momoa... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. Cal Drogo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so I just, if I'm going to watch them eventually, I do want to make sure I watch what I need to watch for the story to make sense. Mm. And it's, it, it is going to be a genuinely interesting thing to compare what they do with Barry Allen in the Justice League, because it's a different Flash. Oh, yeah, that's going to hurt my heart. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting, because Grunt Gustin is very good at what he does. <laughs> so, he is. Yeah, fascinating. Grant Gustin is the only Flash that I know. Right. I, I mean, and, and that's because I'm a baby when it comes to all of this stuff. But <laughs> so I can't imagine. I mean, I feel like it would be easier for you guys who have had different Flashes throughout the years in various iterations. And me, Grant Gustin, is Barry Allen. And mm. so to see somebody else doing it on the, on the big screen is going to be hard. 
And I, I mean, I, I understand why they did what they did. I disagree with their decision to keep them completely separate. Like, I think Marvel did the right thing by slightly crossing over in some places, even mm-hmm. though they're probably not going to anymore. Mm-hmm. I wish DC had done that, but clearly you disagree. The end of Age of Ultron. There is a bit where he's in Switzerland and there's two scientists behind him, a man and a woman, and that could have been Fitzsimmons. <laughs> and then the very end of it on Sokovia, she'll turn up and there's agents helping people move around and that could have been May and it could have been Daisy. And it was just there to have people from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. be in that movie and they don't have to reference them, they just have to be there and it fills it in and it makes the rest of us who've spent time with these characters be really happy. And they didn't do it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, anyway. So moving on from Matthew's rant, <laughs> it's now time for my personal favorite part of the show. Listener feedback, you guys. You mean you Listener didn't like my feedback. diatribes about superhero movies? All I'm saying is this is my favorite part of the show. That's all I'm saying. Because you guys, I really, really do love it when you reach out to us and you tell us when you agree with us, when you tell us when you disagree with us. When you like what we do, when you think we can do things better, any of it, just it warms the cockles of my heart whenever I see feedback from you guys. And so I love it. And I love sharing it with you guys. So this one I've been holding on to for a couple of weeks because it was just so timely for this episode. Jazzy at Jazzbot7 on Twitter was catching up on Pop Culturally Deprived and made it through 12 I haven't seen that before she finally groaned aloud. (laughs) And the one that made her groan was when I said I hadn't seen Superman. So, Jazzy, rest easy. I have now seen Superman, and I'm sorry, but I hated it. And you didn't like it, despite how fun it was. No, I'm pretty sure I said I hated it. (laughs) Um, We also had an email from my mum in response to a comment on the Godfather podcast. Uh, she said, I'm halfway through the Godfather podcast, but thought you might be interested to know that a spree is a period of time, not a number of activities. She signs it off as English teacher retired, which uh, is playing down English teacher, head teacher, chair of heads association. <laughs> My mum's clever, cleverer than all of us put together, guys. So she knows this stuff. We had a full conversation about this. And what I had been thinking about was serial killers, which are about the number of killings. Spree is about the number of killings, but over a period of time. So it's that time aspect that I did not appreciate. Thanks, Mum. That means that, that Michael's killing did not qualify as a spree because it was just two killings at an isolated period of time. Yeah. It one, was not over One point of two killings, yeah. I'm still going to call it a spree. Okay. Sorry, Matthew's Mum. <laughs> Well, if you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. You can also find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Post. Please also to remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it's absolutely the best way to help people discover the show um i say that every time and someone actually said to me like why rating and reviewing it helps us go on the new and noteworthy lists so it helps people identify when they're when they're searching because people don't often search for a category but they go down that list so if we get up there it helps people find us and it helps more people listen more people give us feedback more interesting topics of conversation if you do leave a review for, for us please let us know uh, we'd love to say thank you and we'd love to know who's leaving some of these uh, really exciting comments that we're seeing 
Yes. Some of you guys leave reviews on iTunes with names that we're familiar with, and some of you don't. <laughs> or, you know, maybe it was one of our listeners who we don't actually personally interact with, which would be awesome. If it was you, thank you. But if you know us, tell us. Let us know. Even if you don't know us, you have our Twitter. So please tell us. We would love to say thank you. <laughs> We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Dead Poets Society. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And I don't know who you are, just a friend from another star. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.